Section thirty one of Germanon by Emile Zola. Translation by Havelock Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Part six. Chapter two. Snow had been falling for two days. Since the morning it had ceased, and an intense frost had frozen the immense sheet. This black country, with its inky roads and walls and trees powdered with coal dust, was now white, a single whiteness stretching out without end. The Dusson Quaron settlement lay beneath the snow as though it had disappeared. No smoke came out of the chimneys. The houses, without fire and as cold as the stones in the street, did not melt the thick layer on the tiles. It was nothing more than a quarry of white slabs in the white plain, a vision of a dead village wound in its shroud. Along the roads, the passing patrols alone made a muddy mess with their stamping. Among the Mahirs, the last shovelful of cinders had been burnt the evening before, and it was no use any longer to think of gleaning on the pit-bank in this terrible weather, when the sparrows themselves could not find a blade of grass. Alzire, from the obstinacy with which her poor hands had dug in the snow, was dying. Mahud had to wrap her up in the fragment of a coverlet while waiting for Dr. Vanderhagen, for whom she had twice gone up without being able to find him. The servant had, however, promised that he would come to the settlement before night, and the mother was standing at the window watching while the little invalid, who had wished to be downstairs, was shivering on a chair having the illusion that it was better there near the cold grate. Old Bonmort, opposite, his legs bad once more, seemed to be sleeping. Neither Lenore or Henri had come back from scouring the roads, in company with John Lynn, to ask for Sue. Mahil alone was walking heavily up and down the bare room, stumbling against the wall at every turn, with the stupid air of an animal which can no longer see its cage. The petroleum, also was finished, but the reflection of the snow from outside was so bright that it vaguely lit up the room, in spite of the deepening night. There was a noise of sabots, and the Levaque woman pushed open the door like a gale of wind, beside herself, shouting furiously from the threshold at Mehud. Then it's you who have said that I forced my lodger to give me twenty sous when he sleeps with me? The other shrugged her shoulders. Don't bother me. I said nothing. And who told you so? They tell me you said so. It doesn't concern you who it was. You even said you could hear us at our dirty tricks behind the wall, and that the filth gets into our house because I'm always on my back. Just tell me you didn't say so, eh? Every day, quarrels broke out as a result of the constant gossiping of the women, especially between those households which lived door to door. Squabbles and reconciliations took place every day but never before had such bitterness thrown them one against the other since the strike hunger exasperated their rancor so that they felt the need of blows an altercation between two gossiping women finished by a murderous onset between their two men just then levaque arrived in his turn dragging bouteloup here's our mate let him just say if he has given twenty sous to my wife to sleep with her the lodger, hiding his timid gentleness in his great beard, protested and stammered, Oh, that! No, never anything! Never! At once, Lavaque became threatening, and thrust his fist beneath Mahu's nose. You know that won't do for me. 
if a man's got a wife like that he ought to knock her ribs in if not then you believe what she says by god exclaimed maheu furious at being dragged out of his dejection what is all this clatter again haven't we got enough to do with our misery just leave me alone damn you or i'll let you know it and first who says that my wife said so who says so pierron said so maheu broke into a sharp laugh and turning towards the levaque woman ah pierron is it well i can tell you what she told me yes she told me that you sleep with both your men the one underneath and the other on top after that it was no longer possible to come to an understanding they all grew angry and the levaques as a reply to the maheus asserted that Perron had said a good many other things on their account that they had sold catherine that they were all rotten together even to the little ones with a dirty disease caught by etienne at the volcan she said that she said that yelled maheu good i'll go to her i will and if she says that she said that she shall feel my hand on her chops he was carried out of himself and the levaques followed him to see what would happen while bouteloup having a horror of disputes furtively returned home excited by the altercation maheude was also going out when a complaint from alzire held her back she crossed the ends of the coverlet over the little one's quivering body and placed herself before the window looking out vaguely and that doctor who still delayed at the perron's door maheu and the levaques met lydie who was stamping in the snow the house was closed and a thread of light came through a crack in a shutter the child replied at first to their questions with constraint no her father was not there he had gone to the wash-house to join mother brule and bring back the bundle of linen then she was confused and would not say what her mother was doing at last she let out everything with a sly spiteful laugh her mother had pushed her out of the door because monsieur dansart was there and she prevented them from talking since the morning he had been going about the settlement with two policemen trying to pick up workmen imposing on the weak and announcing everywhere that if the descent did not take place on monday at the voreau the company had decided to hire men from the baronage and as the night came on he sent away the policeman finding perron alone then he had remained with her to drink a glass of gin before a good fire hush hold your tongue we must see them said levaque with a lewd laugh we'll explain everything directly get off with you youngster lydie drew back a few steps while he put his eye to a crack in the shutter he stifled a low cry and his back bent with a quiver in her turn his wife looked through but she said as though taken by the colic that it was disgusting maheu who had pushed her wishing also to see then declared that he had had enough for his money and they began again in a row each taking his glance as at a peep-show the parlour glittering with cleanliness was enlivened by a large fire there were cakes on the table with a bottle and glasses in fact quite a feast what they saw going on in there at last exasperated the two men who under other circumstances would have laughed over it for six months that she should let herself be stuffed up to the neck with her skirts in the air was funny but good god was it not disgusting to do that in front of a great fire and to get up one's strength with biscuits 
when the mates had neither a slice of bread nor a fragment of coal here's father cried lady running away Perron was quietly coming back from the wash-house with a bundle of linen on his shoulder maheu immediately addressed him here they tell me that your wife says that i sold catherine and that we are all rotten at home and what do they pay you in your house your wife and the gentleman who is this minute wearing out her skin the astonished Perron could not understand and Perron, seized with fear on hearing the tumult of voices lost her head and set the door ajar to see what was the matter they could see her looking very red with her dress open and her skirt tucked up at her waist while dansart in the background was wildly buttoning himself up the head captain rushed away and disappeared trembling with fear that the story would reach the manager's ears then there would be an awful scandal laughter and hooting and abuse you who are always saying that other people are dirty shouted the levaque woman to Perron. it's not surprising that you're clean when you get the bosses to scour you ah it's fine for her to talk said levaque again here's a trollop who says that my wife sleeps with me and the lodger one below and the other above yes yes that's what they tell me you say but Piron, grown calm held her own against this abuse very contemptuous in the assurance that she was the best-looking and the richest i've said what i've said just leave me alone will you what have my affairs got to do with you a pack of jealous creatures who want to get over us because we are able to save up money get along get along you can say what you like my husband knows well enough why monsieur Dancet was here Perron, in fact was furiously defending his wife the quarrel turned they accused him of having sold himself of being a spy the company's dog they charged him with shutting himself up to gorge himself with the good things with which the bosses paid him for his treachery and offence he pretended that maheu had slipped beneath his door a threatening paper with two crossbones and a dagger above and this necessarily ended in a struggle between the men as the quarrels of the women always did now that famine was enraging the mildest maheu and levaque rushed on Perron with their fists and had to be pulled off blood was flowing from her son-in-law's nose when mother brulé in her turn arrived from the wash-house when informed of what had been going on she merely said the damned beast dishonours me the road was becoming deserted not a shadow spotted the naked whiteness of the snow and the settlement falling back into its death-like immobility went on starving beneath the intense cold and the doctor asked maheu as he shut the door not come replied maheu still standing before the window are oh, the little ones back no not back maheu again began his heavy walk from one wall to the other looking like a stricken ox father bonmort sitting stiffly on his chair had not even lifted his head alzire also had said nothing and was trying not to shiver so as to avoid giving them pain but in spite of her courage and suffering she sometimes trembled so much that one could hear against the coverlet the quivering of the little invalid girl's lean body while with her large open eyes she stared at the ceiling from which the pale reflection of the white gardens lit up the room like moonshine the emptied house was now in its last agony having reached a final stage of nakedness 
the mattress ticks had followed the wool to the dealers then the sheets had gone the linen everything that could be sold one evening they had sold a handkerchief of the grandfather's for two sous tears fell over each object of the poor household which had to go and the mother was still lamenting that one day she had carried away in her skirt the pink cardboard box her man's old present as one would carry away a child to get rid of it on some doorstep they were bare they had only their skins left to sell so worn out and injured that no one would have given a farthing for them they no longer even took the trouble to search they knew that there was nothing left that they had come to the end of everything that they must not hope even for a candle or a fragment of coal or a potato and they were waiting to die only grieved about the children and revolted by the useless cruelty that gave the little one a disease before starving it at last here he is said maheu a black figure passed before the window the door opened but it was not dr vanderhagen they recognized the new curé abbe ranvier who did not seem surprised at coming on this dead house without light without fire without bread he had already been to three neighboring houses going from family to family seeking willing listeners like dansart with his two policemen and at once he exclaimed in his feverish fanatic's voice why were you not at mass on sunday my children you are wrong the church alone can save you now promise me to come next sunday maheu after staring at him went on pacing heavily without a word it was maheu who replied to mass sir what for isn't the good god making fun of us look here what has my little girl there done to him to be shaking with fever hadn't we enough misery that he had to make her ill too just when i can't even give her a cup of warm gruel then the priest stood and talked at length he spoke of the strike this terrible wretchedness this exasperated rancor of famine with the ardor of a missionary who was preaching to savages for the glory of religion he said that the church was with the poor that she would one day cause justice to triumph by calling down the anger of god on the iniquities of the rich and that day would come soon for the rich had taken the place of god and were governing without god in their impious theft of power but if the workers desired their fair division of the goods of the earth they ought at once to put themselves in the hands of the priests just as on the death of jesus the poor and the humble grouped themselves around the apostles what strength the pope would have what an army the clergy would have under them when they were able to command the numberless crowd of workers in one week they would purge the world of the wicked they would chase away the unworthy masters then indeed there would be a real kingdom of god every one recompensed according to his merits and the law of labor as the foundation for universal happiness Mehid, who was listening to him seemed to hear etienne in those autumn evenings when he announced to them the end of their evils only she had always distrusted the cloth that's very well what you say there sir she replied but that's because you no longer agree with the bourgeois all our other cures dined at the manager's and threatened us with the devil as soon as we asked for bread he began again and spoke of the deplorable misunderstanding between the church and the people now in veiled phrases he hit at the town cures 
at the bishops at the highly placed clergy sated with enjoyment gorged with domination making pacts with the liberal middle class in the imbecility of their blindness not seeing that it was this middle class which had dispossessed them of the empire of the world deliverance would come from the country priests who would all rise to re-establish the kingdom of christ with the help of the poor and already he seemed to be at their head he raised his bony form like the chief of a band a revolutionary of the gospel his eyes so filled with light that they illuminated the gloomy room this enthusiastic sermon lifted him to mystic heights and the poor people had long ceased to understand him no need for so many words growled maheu suddenly you'd best begin by bringing us a loaf come on sunday to mass cried the priest god will provide for everything and he went off to catechize the lavaques in their turn so carried away by his dream of the final triumph of the church and so contemptuous of facts that he would thus go through the settlements without charities with empty hands amid this army dying of hunger being a poor devil himself who looked upon suffering as the spur to salvation maheu continued his pacing and nothing was heard but his regular tramp which made the floor tremble there was the sound of a rust-eaten pulley old von mort was spitting into the cold grate then the rhythm of the feet began again azir weakened by fever was rambling in a low voice laughing thinking that it was warm and that she was playing in the sun good gracious muttered maheude after having touched her cheeks how she burns i don't expect that damn beast now the brigands must have stopped him from coming she meant the doctor and the company she uttered a joyous exclamation however when the door once more opened but her arms fell back and she remained standing still with gloomy face good evening whispered etienne when he had carefully closed the door he often came thus at night-time the mayhews learnt his retreat after the second day but they kept the secret and no one in the settlement knew exactly what had become of the young man a legend had grown up around him people still believed in him and mysterious rumours circulated he would reappear with an army and chests full of gold and there was always the religious expectation of a miracle the realised ideal a sudden entry into that city of justice which he had promised them some said that they had seen him lying back in a carriage with three other gentlemen on the marchiennes road others affirmed that he was in england for a few days at length however suspicions began to arise and jokers accused him of hiding in a cellar where moquette kept him warm for this relationship when known had done him harm there was a growing disaffection in the midst of his popularity a gradual increase of the despairing among the faithful and their number was certain little by little to grow what brutal weather he added and you nothing new always from bad to worse they tell me that little negrel has been to belgium to get barains good god we are done for if that is true he shuddered as he entered this dark icy room where it was some time before his eyes were able to see the unfortunate people whose presence he guessed by the deepening of the shade he was experiencing the repugnance and discomfort of the workman who has risen above his class refined by study and stimulated by ambition what wretchedness and odours and the bodies in a heap and a terrible pity caught him by the throat the spectacle of this agony so overcame him that he tried to find words to advise submission 
but Mayhew came violently up to him, shouting, Boreins, they won't dare, the bloody fools. Let the Boreins go down, then, if they want us to destroy the pits. With an air of constraint, Etienne explained that it was not possible to move, that the soldiers who guarded the pits would protect the descent of the Belgian workmen, and Mayhew clenched his fists, irritated especially, as he said, by having bayonets in his back. Then the colliers were no longer masters in their own place? They were treated, then, like convicts, forced to work by a loaded musket. He loved his pit. It was a great grief to him not to have been down for two months. He was driven wild, therefore, at the idea of this insult, these strangers whom they threatened to introduce. Then the recollection that his certificate had been given back to him struck him to the heart. I don't know why I'm angry, he muttered. I don't belong to their shop any longer. When they have hunted me away from here, I may as well die on the road. As to that, said Etienne, if you like, they'll take your certificate back tomorrow. People don't send away good workmen. He interrupted himself, surprised to hear Alzire, who was laughing softly in the delirium of the fever. So far he had only made out Father Bonmore's stiff shadow and this gaiety of the sick child frightened him. It was indeed too much if the little ones were going to die of it. With trembling voice, he made up his mind. Look here, this can't go on. We are done for. We must give it up. Mehud, who had been motionless and silent up to now, suddenly broke out, and, treating him familiarly and swearing like a man, she shouted in his face, what's that you say it's you who say that by god he was about to give reasons but she would not let him speak don't repeat that by god or woman as i am i'll put my fist into your face then we have been dying for two months and i have sold my household and my little ones have fallen ill of it and there is to be nothing done and the injustice is to begin again ah do you know when i think of that my blood stands still? No, no, I would burn everything, I would kill everything, rather than give up. She pointed at Mehu in the darkness, with a vague, threatening gesture. Listen to this. If any man goes back to the pit, he'll find me waiting for him on the road to spit in his face and cry, coward. Etienne could not see her, but he felt a heat like the breath of a barking animal. He had drawn back astonished at this fury which was his work. She was so changed that he could no longer recognize the woman who was once so sensible, reproving his violent schemes, saying that we ought not to wish anyone dead, and who was now refusing to listen to reason and talking of killing people. It was not he now, it was she who talked politics, who dreamed of sweeping away the bourgeois at a stroke demanded the republic and the guillotine to free the earth of these rich robbers who fattened on the labor of starvelings yes i could flay them with my fingers we've had enough of them our turn has come now you used to say so yourself when i think of the father the grandfather the grandfather's father what all of them who went before have suffered what we are suffering and that our sons and our sons sons will suffer it over again it makes me mad I could take a knife. The other day, we didn't do enough at Monceau. We ought to have pulled the bloody place to the ground, down to the last brick. And do you know, I've only one regret. 
that we didn't let the old man strangle the peeling girl hunger may strangle my little ones for all they care her words fell like the blows of an axe in the night the closed horizon would not open and the impossible ideal was turning to poison in the depths of the skull which had been crushed by grief you have misunderstood etienne was able to say at last beating a retreat we ought to come to an understanding with the company i know that the pits are suffering much so that it would probably consent to an arrangement no never she shouted just then lenore and henri came back with their hands empty a gentleman had certainly given them two sous but the girl kept kicking her little brother and the two sous fell into the snow and as jeanlin had joined in the search they had not been able to find them where is jeanlin he's gone away mother he said he had business etienne was listening with an aching heart once she had threatened to kill them if they ever held out their hands to beg now she sent them herself on to the roads and proposed that all of them the ten thousand colliers of monceau should take stick and wallet like beggars of old and scour the terrified country the anguish continued to increase in the black room the little urchins came back hungry they wanted to eat why could they not have something to eat and they crumbled flung themselves about and at last trod on the feet of their dying sister groaned the mother furiously boxed their ears in the darkness at random then as they cried still louder asking for bread she burst into tears and dropped on to the floor seizing them in one embrace with the little invalid then for a long time her tears fell in a nervous outbreak which left her limp and worn out stammering over and over again the same phrase calling for death oh god why do you not take us oh god in pity take us to have done with it the grandfather preserved his immobility like an old tree twisted by the rain and wind while the father continued walking between the fireplace and the cupboard without turning his head but the door opened and this time it was dr van der hagen the devil he said this light won't spoil your eyes look sharp i'm in a hurry as usual he scolded knocked up by work fortunately he had matches with him and the father had to strike six one by one and to hold them while he examined the invalid unwound from her coverlet she shivered beneath this flickering light as lean as a bird dying in the snow so small that one only saw her hump but she smiled with the wandering smile of the dying and her eyes were very large while her poor hands contracted over her hollow breast and as the half-choked mother asked if it was right to take away from her the only child who helped in the household so intelligent and gentle the doctor grew vexed ah she is going dead of hunger your blessed child and not the only one either i've just seen another one over there you all send for me but i can't do anything it's meat that you want to cure you Mayhew, with burnt fingers had dropped the match and the darkness closed over the little corpse which was still warm the doctor had gone away in a hurry etienne heard nothing more in the black room but Mahus sobs repeating her cry for death that melancholy and endless lamentation oh god it is my turn take me oh god take my man take the others out of pity to have done with it
End of section 31.